We're continuing our series now in the book of Acts. And last week, Carlos brought us a lesson on the conversion of Lydia. And we're going to continue on with that. I wanted to just mention a couple of points that sometimes, I don't know, maybe it's the way I process things, but it helps me put things in perspective. In the book of Acts, of course, we know it talks about the history of the church. And from the day of Pentecost till the churches were established in various regions. Um, and one of the ways that we have come to see this more clearly than all is through Paul's missionary journeys. And I know sometimes we've heard that, Paul's missionary journeys. But Paul himself went and with others, and they went to different regions. And in, in Acts chapter 13 is when he goes on his first missionary journey, where he establishes many churches through various regions of this uh, area of the world. Then afterward, they come back, and there's they're getting... Uh, some time has gone by, and they have chosen to go back to visit these churches again. And that's one of the things that we see in Acts chapter 16. Paul, Paul has started his second missionary journey, not only, as we'll see, to visit the churches that have been established, but we're going to see how he's led in other ways that he wasn't even expecting. So, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, and we're going to, um, traditionally we've started off by reading the whole text. I, I just prefer to do it where you take it a section at a time. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 16, and let's read verses 16 through 18 to start off. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, now mind you, um, just because, stopping in the middle of the reading, uh, if anybody's gone to my Bible classes, they know I tend to do that a lot. Um, let's be mindful that just because the Bible is broken up into chapters and verses does not mean that the story stopped here and now all of a sudden another story is starting here. He is presumed to still be in Philippi, and we know from last week that he met with Lydia, this group of women that were meeting down near the river, and this is where he came to uh, to share with them, and obviously Lydia accepted the Lord and, and moved on from there. But now when he says, once when they were going to the place of prayer... We also believe that it's in the same area here and most likely down at the river again where he found them praying the first time. So be mindful about that. We were met there by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Some of your versions may see spirit of divination. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. I'm going to stop there for right now. Um, we could do a whole service on fortune tellers, mediums, and things like that. But I want to cut it down to one verse, and then I'm going to encourage you. When you have time, use Google for something else that can be productive. You could put Bible verses about this subject, and it'll relay some to you, and we can, we can uh, move forward to that. But, but first, this was a spirit of divination, which was also a demon possession. Okay, And she was fortune-telling for a lot of the people they came in contact with. It was all about making money. But I do want us to... Before we look at this one verse I want to share with you, I always wondered this. I had a hard time absorbing this verse 
because what she was saying, was it a lie? Was it wrong? She basically said, and I'll read from the text, she said, these men are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. So I was always like, wait a minute. You know, some people would say, hey, it's free advertising. You know, it sounds good. It's getting the message out there. But the more I look at this, and I think we need to be so clear in this, I think that Paul did not want to let Satan do his advertising. Okay? And something else that I believe a concern was the fact that she was being viewed, or she could be viewed, as a source of truth. And this is where we need to be very careful. Now let's jump to the verse I wanted to share with you. And I'm just going to share one verse in particular today. Go to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. <clears throat> in Isaiah chapter 8, and I'm going to go to verse 19. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19. When someone tells you to consult mediums and spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Why consult the dead on behalf of the living? Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to his word, they have no, they have no light of dawn. I'm going to stop it right there. Like I said, this is not going to be a lesson on medium and spiritists, but... The scripture speaks clearly about this, and, and I couldn't let it go by because too often I have heard from individuals, um, individuals who are believers. Well, I just want to go to see, how, see what they say, just to try it out. Be very careful. And I'm not only going to say be very careful, I'm going to tell you, don't go. And I think the scripture is being very clear on it. Um, we love to push the envelope. Um, look it up. See what God's word says about it. Anybody who would like to talk about this more, I'd be more than happy to meet with you after service today or give me a call sometime this week. But let's make note of that. So this woman has come and all of a sudden, let's go back to book of Acts, Acts chapter 16 again. The woman has come and... <laughs> She has gotten to the point where she has Paul, <laughs> Paul at his last leg, and she finally just said, he finally just cast the demon out, as we read in the, in the verse here, and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to get out. Let's continue in verse 19. When her owners realized that her hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Um, I want to make something clear here, too. If we really look and really listen to what Paul was preaching, at no time were they speaking anything against Roman law or customs. Now, the reason I think it's important for us to mention that is the fact that there will always become obstacles in our way when we're trying to share the message of Christ. 
when we're trying to, to serve the gospel. And remember, we're looking at this particular story here. But at the beginning, I said the book of Acts is a history of the church. Let's be mindful. We're still writing the history of the church. Okay? And just as they encountered in this time, we're going to be encountering ourselves. Sometimes, if we're not encountering, what does that tend to tell us? Maybe we're not sharing the way we should. Maybe we're not speaking of it. Maybe we're not really bringing the word directly to them. It's a path of least resistance. Trust me, as someone who at times loves to avoid conflict at all costs, I understand how that is. But we're seeing this right here. And, and remember, this is not going to be the, it's not the first time, it's not going to be the last time. False accusations were brought against Jesus. False accusations were brought against Stephen. All these things have happened before. But this time it's happening to Paul and Silas in this particular way. And remember this. We also know that what were the real motives of the people who managed this slave girl that read the future? It was money. It was money. They were not concerned about the customs of the Roman culture or anything like that. Their money-making vessel had vanished and someone was going to pay for it. Hmm. Living in a culture where someone has to pay when you lose something. Okay, we can relate. Acts chapter 16, verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stock. You know, the one thing I think about this, which we can also relate to, is how easily the masses are swayed. Okay? Was this really an issue of the whole society here, of the whole culture? No. The real issue was some individuals who made money off this woman. But now they had convinced everybody that this is something that's going to affect our culture, that's wrong, and how easily everybody was transferred into that. I want to mention something here in verse 22. It says they were ordered and stripped and beaten with rods. Um, needless to say, the Roman culture believed in corporal punishment and much more severely than what we can imagine. But you do understand that there's still countries in the world that believe in this type of punishment. As a matter of fact, what's really interesting, there's a very modern and sophisticated country on the other side of the world that this is a regular practice in their social discipline. And that's the country of Singapore. <laughs> there, you know, there's some other countries that we might think Brunei, Malaysia, things like that, but, but Singapore. If you look at Singapore on the internet or anything, you're looking at a sophisticated, incredible country. Well, they still believe this uh, incredibly. Uh, when I was looking this up, researching it, because I didn't know if it was still taking place in Singapore, I came across this article about back in 1994. There was a young man, 19-year-old American uh, young man called Michael Fay, and he had gone over to Singapore and was found guilty of vandalism. Now, now something real interesting. You can go to Singapore, and again, I have not had the privilege of going. I know others have, probably Ashley. 
Um, but I know that others have. And one of the things that they say is, you won't even find gum on the sidewalk. It's punishable by law. I wish we could say the th same thing about under the pews, but we'll talk about that later. Um, there are certain kind of words that you will not hear spoken in public, certain types of advertisement. One of the ways that they punish. Well, going back to the story, this young man, Michael Fay, was found guilty of vandalism. And he was sentenced to six beatings with a cane or a stick. Of course, it was an uproar because how could this happen? Um, it followed through. But, but just to sort of clarify that this, <clears throat> this still does take place. And of course, when we talk about Rome, we know that this took place on a much more severe scale. But Paul mentions this also. If, if you have your Bibles, shoot to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 real quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And if you look at chapter 11, I'm going to be reading verses 23 through 25. <clears throat> it says, Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked... I worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Anybody know why it was 40 lashes minus one? From the commentaries I read, they sort of figured by the 40th one they killed the person. So it was 40 minus 1. Look it up. Verse 25. Three times I have been beaten with rods. And this particular uh, uh, one that we're reading here in Acts is one of those beatings, beatings. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. So Paul mentions this down the road too. And this is one of the beatings that we know that he particularly went with. Now, going back to Acts chapter 16, when we say that he was beaten, and then what happened after he was beaten? It says that he was placed in prison and put in the inner cell. Now, in the Roman prisons, traditionally, they had three areas. They had one that was more like an open air uh, portion of the prison where there was some fresh air at least to be obtained where people can get outside and see some sunlight. There was the inner one that, of course, had the different cells, as we can imagine. But then they had an inner one, which was almost like just like a dark pit. I guess they would just use it for the worst criminals or those that they chose to pretty much just forget. And this is where Paul and Silas were placed when they were in prison. I also think that's an important point to mention. They were not in a prison here in the U.S. Okay, I'm not saying, I'm not making light of being in prison here in the U.S., but definitely we know that in Roman times it was much more severe. But what I want us to think about at this particular point, this is something I really want to try to emphasize today is, this was a low point in Paul's ministry. For him, I can imagine. First of all, he starts his second missionary journey to visit the churches. The first two places, he, times he wants to go somewhere, what's the answer the Lord gives him? No and no. 
Then he gets his vision from the man from Macedonia. Come over here. And he comes over. Comes over, doesn't find a big crowd, but founds a group of women that are worshiping near the river. He shares the gospel. Lydia accepts the Lord. Well, we have one person that is believed. We're off to a good start. But now he's imprisoned. What does Paul do? Does he blame God? Does he get angry with God? No. He worships him. He makes this place that he finds himself a sanctuary. And look at how he makes it a sanctuary. Go to Acts 16, verse 25. I'll be reading through 25 through 29. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted to him, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Okay, first of all, being in prison at midnight, I don't know how singing went over with other prisoners. Okay, but obviously this is what they were doing at this time. But one of the points I wanted to mention was, we see how Paul handled it. How do we handle it when we're at the low points of our faith walk? You know what's amazing is, Sometimes we want to handle it a certain way. We hope that in the midst of it, we'll handle it. But we're not handling it that way when the things are good. So what would make us think that we're going to handle it any different when the situation is difficult? And this is a conflict with, that, that we probably face within ourselves. We know that many of us, you know, as soon as, as, soon as trial comes, we become more prayerful and more into God's word than ever. But in real life, do we just think it's going to click on like a light switch? You know, the text that came to me was Ephesians 6. And I want you to have, if you have Bibles, let's go to Ephesians 6 real quick. Ephesians 6, and this text that I'm going to read, we've heard over and over about the armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. And listen to what it says. It says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm when, with, and explains what to, go, what to stand firm with. Look at what it says here in verse 13. Because many of us are thinking, okay, when I'm going out to war, I'll put my armor on. Okay? That's, I think, where our problem lies. We don't take our Christian faith, our Christian walk, as a battle, as a war. I don't know about you, 
But as soon as Monday morning comes, well, every day, but specifically temptations, trials, stresses, pressures, what makes us think that we're just going to wait until we think we're in war to be prepared? In verse 13 it says, Therefore put on the full armor of God. It says to put it on. So that when the day of evil comes. So what is it telling us, church? It's telling us that we need to put on that armor every day. And I'm thinking of Rosa right over here because one day in class she, she said, every single morning when I wake up, I say I want to put on the helmet of this and the belt of this and the sword. Every single day, prepared for that spiritual battle and spiritual war. That is why Paul and Silas were able to handle it and confront it in that particular manner. Not that they were greater Christians than you and I, not that they had some superhuman powers that you and I do not have, not that they had some special anointing that you and I did not have, but the fact that they equipped themselves daily to confront this and to be prepared for this. And that is what I really want to encourage you today when we hear, there's so many lessons we can get from anything in the book, in the scriptures, and especially in this text, they're so rich. But today I want us to think about that. I want us to think about how do you handle when those difficult times come, when those low points come in your life. It says, in said verse 13, stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, then it says stand firm then, and I won't take the time to read that right now because I'm pressed for time already, I know. But, and I don't want to finish this text that we have today because it ends on the highest note possible. So be mindful about that, church. Acts chapter, 13, Acts chapter 16, and let's do uh, the last few verses on this text. Acts chapter 16, verses 30 through 34. He then brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is a jailer. <sighs> Any more glorious words that you can have somebody tell you? I'll tell you this. If it was one of your family members, it sure would be, I guarantee you. Verse 31, they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then he spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all the household were baptized. The jailer brought them out into his house to set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his entire household. Wow, what must I do to be saved? Um, that's a life-changing statement. I don't know if you remember when you were baptized and when you accepted the Lord, what was going through your mind. Maybe it was just the fact that I know it's time for me to accept the Lord, to accept as my Savior. Others, you know what? I need saving. I know I'm lost. But I would always like for us to remember when we're sharing with others our faith, don't think as people just being rebellious and not wanting to love God. They're lost. They're lost. They're walking around in darkness. And what Christ brings them is that light where they can see where they're going. And then they can move in the right direction. 
We all need a Savior. We all need a Savior. And I love the fact when Paul gave them an answer here, he didn't tell them all the things that they need to do after they, after they accept the Lord. You need to start going to church. You need to start changing this. You need to start doing that. What did he tell them? And this is an important message, church. We've got to get this clear. Because if not, sometimes we could be the ones that shun people away. It's almost like it's almost like applying for an HOA. Everybody knows that, you know. You have a whole list of requirements you have to do before you can move into this development or something. And then get this committee to approve it. When they said, what must I do to be saved? And what was the answer, church? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. You know, from coming through this false accusations to this beating to ending on this note shows us who always comes out ahead at the end. And that's the Lord and his purpose.